welcome to the ABI online radio show where you're about to hear from industry experts that will share their stories and advice on how you too can learn from their expertise and life's experiences. And now it's time for the next interview, so let's get on with the show. Today I'd like to introduce you to John Broadbent. John, originally a mechanical engineer, over the last 30 years he had various businesses from software engineering to retail and even a wellness centre. He is the father of two wonderful boys, aged 15 and 9. He's met his business partner building factories in Southeast Asia in the mid-90s. He's authored a book on the inner world of men in 2014 and is actively involved in men's work. He has also travelled extensively to some exotic places and uh, John will probably tell us more about that in the interview. Hi John, um, welcome to the show. Uh, I suppose the first thing I'd like to do is to give the listeners a bit of an insight into who you are, what you do and I suppose mainly why you do it. So, so do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, good morning Fred. Um, thank you for the opportunity. Um, yes, I'm a, I guess a, um, a person who started life like anybody else, uh, born in the UK, came to Australia as a, as a 10 pound pom while my parents were, I got here for free um, in the late 60s. Uh, nothing remarkable, typical sort of primary school and high school. Uh, but then in 1991, I found myself a thousand kilometres north of Perth in a place called Monkey Mire, uh, spending a week uh, with dolphins up there. And unbeknown to me, um, something went on up there that I don't understand or didn't understand at the time. And then I uh, bumped into uh, a spiritual teacher, as you do by chance, and um, as an engineer, you can imagine that my reality principle was fairly, uh, fairly rigid, fairly uh, the way the world is. But travelling with him over the next nine years to some remarkable places on the planet uh, really started to well not only challenge what I thought life was and who I thought I was, but really started to cause me to unravel in some ways as I started to unlearn, I guess, a lot of the, a lot of the behaviours that I'd learned growing up as a child in, in Northern England and in Australia, and then realising that life was actually far more uh, mysterious and interesting than I ever thought possible. So you mentioned that you had an experience with the, the dolphins. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I went up there um, my, my first marriage. Um, I went up there, my wife wanted to visit dolphins, and we had a look at Hawaii and uh, Bunbury and various other places on, on the planet. Um, Perth seemed like a natural place to go. It was uh, it was January. It was absolutely stinking hot. It was like forty degrees up there. But I do remember arriving on the first day, dropping my bag in a little cabin. This is nineteen ninety one, uh, when there wasn't much there, about a thousand kilometres north of Perth, uh, walking down to the water's edge, watching the dolphins swim past me. I was knee deep in water, um, and then looking at going, thinking to myself, well, I've done it now. What am I going to do? For the next eight days, I'm going to be bored shitless by the end of the week. Um, and the opposite was true by the end of the week. Um, spending time with them as uh, the joyful beings that they are, I guess, uh, being sonared quite a few times while I was in the water with them. And I've since read that, you know, people are now using uh, dolphins and sonar to heal uh, uh, children that have uh, various medical conditions, which which makes sense to me now, would, wouldn't have at the time. Um, but I left there almost wanting to sell up my house in Sydney and, and move up there and work on a pearl boat and you know, live in the area. It was, it was that transformational for me. It's interesting. So what, what led you into what you're doing now? Like obviously you had an experience and 
you said you um, had a spiritual was a spiritual teacher or a spiritual healer. Yeah, uh, it was. It was. It was. A, I guess he was a, a master and, and, a, and a mentor. He called himself an ontologist, um, which is a person who's really interested in the development of the human soul. Um, and he had an, an uncanny ability as an empath uh, to be able to read uh, what was going on inside of you. So here I am, an engineer, uh, very emotionally shut down, um, inarticulate, uh, not able to explain or express how I feel or what was going on inside of me. And he would stand next to me and he'd say, why are you upset or why are you angry or why are you feeling sad? Or, and I'd go, well, I don't feel that. So firstly, um, I had to learn to feel. I guess as, as boys growing up, particularly in that era, um, we're taught, you know, the old story, boys don't cry. So we're, we're taught very much from a, a very early age as boys to repress our feelings, repress our emotions. So I had to learn or wanted to learn to feel. Um, once I learned to feel, I had to then put names to those feelings to understand what grief and sadness um, and anger actually felt like in my body. And then I learned to express the nuance um, of feeling. So it was almost like learning a new language. And what that did for me was in 2001, 2002, <clears throat> excuse me, I went through a period, uh, what I could only call of, of automatic writing, where up until that time, I, I hated writing. <laughs> I hated writing reports at work. I never, never wrote letters to people. Um, writing just wasn't something that um, I ever saw myself doing. And then for a period of about two years, I started this automatic writing process where an idea would, would, would bubble up from somewhere. It could be a line in a song. It could be uh, a conversation that I'd had. It could be something I read in a book. And then late at night, usually when no one was around, that would pour this um, piece of writing, two to three pages long. Um, I would never remember what I'd written. I'd wake up the next morning and be... Uh, um, almost excited about what, you know, what came out last night and go and sit and read it and they've all got their own sort of personalities and I realised looking back it was really an apprenticeship uh, for me to get in contact with myself so that in 2013 I could do what I've always wanted to do which was to write a book about um, about men and the inner world of men and how we can live more fulfilling lives. So like it, it kind of su suggested there that when you said you didn't... Um understand or remember what you wrote like were you in a trance or in a dream or was it just your subconscious that was doing this or, or what do you think happened um i think that what was happening for me is that i was really going to a different place within my own psyche and really listening which i've never done before and this was after the death of, of the teacher that i traveled with for nine years he died suddenly uh, straight after the uh, millennium new year festivity so it was a it was a real shock to me and 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 really sat me on my ass for almost a year in grief and regret when I lost such a, a person that I'd become very close to and who guided me for, you know, nine years of my life to, to really um, explore more of who I was and, and give me the confidence to, to step up into the world. Um, and I think what was happening was I was listening more to deeper aspects of myself. Um, and when I then uh, got to writing the, the book about Inner World of Men, the interesting thing is I can still pick up that book now four years later and I can read a chapter and I know that I wrote the chapter. Uh, some of the words are familiar to me, but it's almost like I've forgotten uh, you know, what I wrote and when I wrote it. So that I guess that sense of newness and novelty is always still there. So with the, the, the book, um, obviously you talk about the inner world of men. So do you want to tell us a, a, a bit about what's inside that and uh, who might benefit from reading it? Yeah, sure. So I called it Man Unplugged. Um, 
it was really uh, a title that came to me after watching the movie The Matrix uh, with, with good old Keanu Reeves and uh, Lawrence Fishburne. And I realised that at some point in my life, I've taken the red pill and unplugged myself from sort of the collective view of, of what men are. And I really wanted to challenge the stereotypes. Um, and one of the exercises in the book that I give to both men and women um, is to simply get a piece of paper, um, put masculinity in a bubble in the middle of it, and then just write down what that means to you. What, what do you think of when you think of men? Do you think they're strong? Do you think they're brave? Do you think they're courageous? Do you think they're angry? Do you think they're dominant? Do you think they're mysterious? You know, what are the words that, that come? Because that really tells us a lot about how we perceive uh, masculinity. And a good friend of mine said to me once, Fred, um, it's not what we're looking at, it's where we're looking from. And I've never forgotten that because I've realised that we all have coloured lenses, we all have perspectives, we all have uh, a view through which uh, frames that we view the world. And when it comes to, 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 to modern masculinity, it's really, really changing in a, in a very rapid way. You know, we've got um, more women going back into the workforce, we've got the, the global financial crisis was, was devastating uh, for a lot of breadwinners and families. And as men, we used to identify who we were in the world by the job we did. Um, and when the global financial crisis hit, for example, and a lot of men were put out of work, the identity um, was lost. Um, every day in Australia, we lose uh, six men to suicide. Um, Bettina Arndt, uh, you probably know of, she recently did a, um, I guess it was a bit of a stunt on a beach where she took six body bags um, and laid them on the beach and said, if these were dolphins or whales, there'd be people up here scrambling to get these whales or dolphins back into the ocean and, 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 and help them survive. But we lose six men every day to suicide and no one cares. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the things that I, there's a few things like that happening, like in the medical world, you know, where people are suffering of cancers and whatever else. And you look at how much money they throw at the, the road toll and, and it is an important thing to put money at. But, like there's 300 people die, you know, from yes. everything else that's going on. How many people are dying, as you say, from suicide or from mental illness or, you know, um, cancers or whatever, and they're, they're limiting the, the funding that goes to those resources. So, yeah, no, I agree. Yes, and mental health is, is the big one. I, I have you know, quite a lot of male friends, um, I guess because I've done the, the journey myself for nearly 25 years now, you get to know um, a young man recently. I could see that he was in trouble in his relationship, but he didn't know how to talk about it. So it was just a simple, are you okay? Um, we play soccer together at times. And uh, it was a question, are you okay? And he goes, well, yeah, why? And I go, oh, he's sitting a bit flat. You know, you, it, 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 I guess it becomes a, almost like a coaching role where you try to open up the door and see if there's any, um, <laughs> any response. And this young man eventually opened up quite considerably and uh, has, has recently ended the relationship. But uh, I've sort of been there for him for nearly nine, ten months and just watching him go through the, the trials and tribulations and tears and anger and all the stuff that's happened through his through the ending of a relationship that, that he was completely perplexed by and didn't want it to happen. He was very much in love with his wife. Something was going on for her under the bonnet that she couldn't resolve and it just ended up them going their separate ways. But it was, a, it was very sad for me to witness that. But good in one way that um, he was able to open up and at least get some support. So so was that um, what you do today? Like you mentioned earlier that you're an engineer and we're, you know, obviously working in the corporate world. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your transformation from that arena to what you're actually doing today? 
I still uh, have a business. I still do software development and manufacturing. I still have a passion for it because I believe Australian manufacturing can be the best in the world and we've worked with some extraordinary businesses that have allowed us to share our experience and wisdom with them and, 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 and got them to world class. Um, so the, the men's work is, is something that I do um, more out of a role of service um, and I simply love it because I see uh, particularly young men who just don't know how to start. And what I find, Fred, is that there's a really amazing book that I'd recommend to all your uh, readers, particularly the men. It's an, all, an audio book uh, written by or done by a woman called Alison Armstrong uh, caused, called The Amazing Development of Men. Um, and I listened to that in January this year and I was in tears through, through part of it because it is such an insightful um, perspective of the stages that we go through as men. Um, and she, to, just to summarise, she, she basically says from zero to 14 years of age was sort of the page, as in the, the night page, um, where we're learning to you know, find our feet in the world. And then from sort of 14 to 28, 32, where the knights want to go out and conquer the world, want to find our dragons, want to find our fair damsels and you know, climb the castles and do all the, uh, find our edges, find our limits, find our boundaries. And then we go into the uh, knight, uh, sorry, the um, prince phase. Um, and she, she breaks it down into early prince, mid prince and late prince. And then eventually we hit what is known as the middle life crisis. Um, Alison Armstrong calls it the tunnel where we go into a place within ourselves where we really start questioning, is this all there is? And that can happen sort of between 45, early 40s, you know, up to sort of early mid-50s. Um, and if we do that work, as difficult as it is, when we come out the other side, she says that we're going to our king phase, which is where we now know who we are. We, we, we have a good understanding of how we want to show up in the world. Um, we don't uh, suffer fools lightly. We don't seem to want to sit around bullshit. <laughs> and and uh, yep, and uh, young men uh, who then decide that they, in their prince phase, or particularly even before them in their night phase, are realise they come into the end of their night phase, um, twenty-eight to thirty-two. It's almost like they've partied and you know uh, done the relationships and the one-night stands and everything they could possibly do, and they get sort of twenty-eight thirty, and they go, "Is that all there is?" And I'd simply like to say to those men. No, <laughs> that's not all there is. There is so much more um, if you're prepared to explore who you are and, and what makes you tick. Uh, what are the components and building blocks that you've collected through your life? What are the values and beliefs and stories that you've uh, collected? What, what's the self-talk that's going on in your head that might be critical, that, that might convince you that you can't do things or that you're stupid or that you're not intelligent or that, you know, what is that voice or whose voices are they? And I'll guarantee you, um, that those voices are actually not yours. Yeah, they've been embedded but, from a childhood or environment or whatever else it might be that you know, started out. And, yep. Yeah. They, they, they just come from, uh, we pick them up, we collect them like sponges as kids, and we don't even know we're doing it. So we're effectively programmed from a very early age to think and, and behave and believe in a certain way, uh, whether it's bigotry, whether it's racism, whether it's homophobia, you know, whatever those um, judgments and values are that we carry until we become self-aware to catch those thoughts and not judge them but listen to them and go well that's interesting I wonder where that comes from why did I form that belief what's the basis of, 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 that, of that process in my thinking and it's been fascinating for me to do that for myself but also then to help other um, other people um, understand that within themselves and then go back and get help through 
NLP practitioners or body work or psychotherapy or psychology or counseling or whatever modality calls them to actually unravel um, those stories and, and, and beliefs that they carry that possibly aren't serving them. That sounds really interesting. The, the, the two things, so you've got two streams at the moment where you're running your, your software business. Um, yes. What, what level of software development, like are you doing it for high-end corporates or just for you know, small business or, or what type of software small are you developing? Small to medium for, for manufacturing. So typically, Fred, we find that the large corporates um, can't get out of their own way. Um, the, the the capex cycle of of, of, of getting uh, project approvals can be quite long. In fact, I've just had a company that's finally um, approached us and, and engaged with us after 11 years and two months of pre-sale. So I guess I get the pa- I get <laughs> the, I get the patience award. <laughs> I, I, I don't have been sale, went, sales, but I've never heard 11 years. Good on you. 11 years and three months from the time I walked through their front door in Brisbane. Before they finally said yes to buying something, and um, did you, did that was you a, give them a plaque for procrastinators or not? No, I, I got such a good relationship with the guy that I was dealing with. He kept getting knocked back that I would send him an anniversary card. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but majority of the, what we see in Australia at the moment is the food industry. It's quite a booming area. Um, ready meals are quite strong. People are now wanting convenience meals, and so we're providing. Uh, systems to particularly food manufacturers to help them go paperless. Uh, okay. A guy, a guy that I know who's a quality control uh, tech, technology guy who, a bit of a consultant, uh, did an audit last year on a company and found they had 900,000 sheets of paper in one factory uh, just for collecting information that no one ever read. Yeah, no, so we help them collect that. Yeah, my, my background's in IT and I've been, you know, working in the corporate sector for quite a number of years and yes. the amount of stuff, even even the last contract they had, it was the same, you know, you, you talk to people and you say, but why are you printing that, you know? Um, yes. And it's, it's just habit. They, 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 if they print it, they read it once and it goes straight in the bin or in the recycle, whatever it might be. Well, I asked the CEO of a food, a fairly well-known and, and large food company. I said, uh, you collect all this paperwork and you write all this stuff and what do you do with it? He said, oh, it goes in a box the box goes into a shipping container at the back of the property and it's archived. And I said, just in case you have a recall, he goes, yes. I said, wouldn't it be easy just to collect that electronically and store that somewhere in a database so that you can actually retrieve it? Because otherwise the recall process in Australia is it takes people, you know, a team of three or four people, two to three weeks to go plough through all these non-related bits of paper that have been scattered through multiple archive boxes from different parts of the business trying to... Um, do a bit of forensic analysis as to why a particular product escaped with, you know, too much tamarind paste in it, or not enough of this, or something that went wrong in the production process. And that investigation and order of that process can take weeks. Whereas electronically, it is simply um, a series of mouse clicks, and you can very easily do um, cause and effect relationships. We love doing that work because it helps people and helps those businesses become far more efficient and protects their brand. So who is, who is your target audience? Like if you had, you know, your wish list or your best client or your avatar, whatever words you want to use, um, who was who the person that you'd like to make contact with? Uh, 40 million to 500 million revenue. Okay. Privately owned. Um, and wanting to be best practice and world class in what they do. 
um, and interested in um, almost what we call a dark factory, which is effectively lights out. Uh, we did some work for Coca-Cola many years ago, Fred. Um, we're doing work for them at the moment. <clears throat> they have a factory that makes um, the preforms that become the bottles themselves. And that factory is, is run on the factory floor by five guys and automated guided vehicles and the whole process is orchestrated by, <clears throat> by our software. That's a nice gig. I'm sorry? That was a nice gig, nice, nice contract to have. Like, you know, oh, fantastic. And, and it's ongoing, I assume, too. Well, there's support, but now they're expanding the plant and uh, they love what we've done there because we, we know how the place works and it's been five, six years now, actually, um, next month since, since that place opened and it has, has literally run like a Swiss watch. There hasn't been a single issue during that time with, with the right reliability or, um, or stability of the software. And I guess, you know, what it, help, what it allows me to do is the, the, the two parts of my life aren't separate. It's, it's the self-investigation, the self-awareness, uh, the coaching that I'm when you when you coach you learn about yourself and your coaching role as well and it'll, I bring that obviously into my business because it allows me to lead my team it allows me to lead customers it allows me to have uh, crucial conversations with customers when they're not behaving well <laughs> without necessarily being uh, fearful of conflict um, and I think out of that as a business we've, we've earned a fair bit of respect in the marketplace as a result because we're very ethical we're very honest with our clients um, and uh, and we don't bullshit them. We we tell them the way it is. So so on the coaching side, <coughs> and I assume that's targeting the the, the male uh, fraternity. So on the coaching side, yeah. you, the same thing again. Who is the the person that you'd like to make contact, and uh, how would they do that if they're interested in touching base with you? So um, coaching, I I'm coaching a few businesses at the moment. Some local, some international. Um, they're men who have met me and want business coaching uh, but they realize when they work with me that uh, the business coaching also requires them to do some um, personal work um, reading particularly um, as, as a, a good friend of mine many years ago said Fred you can never learn less <laughs> so I so I set these people uh, tasked to, to get some good books particularly audio books because people spend a lot of time in planes or cars or you know, in public transport so they can listen to some really good books um, one that I'd highly recommend to anybody who wants to understand what it means to be a leader in this modern world is called Leaders Eat Last. Sorry, uh, can you repeat that? Uh, Leaders Eat Last. Eat Last, okay. Yep. Leaders Eat Last by a guy called Simon uh, Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. Um, oh, I, just TED talker. I was listening to one of his uh, podcasts or TED Talks the other day. What, what a magic presenter. He's an amazing man. I've listened, I've listened to and read several of his books, but Leaders Eat Last for me really encapsulated that it's our responsibility as leaders in any role, whether it's a soccer team, as a coach, whether it's a business, whether it's at work. Um, leaders have a responsibility to create a circle of trust because that's the only way you get the best out of people. And in order to do that as a leader, you have to know who you are. And, and self-awareness for me is an absolute underpinning and fundamental requirement to be a good leader in any role. Yeah, if someone wants to also encourage the, the, the readers to check him out because there's a lot lots of stuff on YouTube I think he's got the highest and I'm, I, I might stand corrected but I believe he's got the, the highest number of views on his TED talk um, the, like you know internationally or whatever so he, he's certainly yes. a great presenter and worth following him and Sir Ken Robinson who uh, TED talk is about why schools kill creativity <laughs> okay 
Um, right. They're both amazingly and worth watching. So if people want to get in touch with me, they can contact me through my email address, which is simply john at manunplugged.com.au. That's john at manunplugged.com.au. And uh, I'll talk with and, anyone. Well, you talk about me, so that obviously proves it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the last thing, is there any nugget that you'd like to share as a, just as a final note? Well, I was interviewed recently by Stacey Hewish uh, for her Thousand Ripples project and a question was asked to me that had never been asked before and it was, what has all this introspective and experiential work done for you? And before I even could put my brain into gear, I heard my mouth say, I've learned to trust myself. Oh. And that for me was a really profound moment because I realised that we go through life with so much most of us go through life, and I certainly did with so much self-doubt um, and so much a lack of belief in why we're here and what we're here to do and without purpose. Um, and for, he, for me to hear those words come out of my mouth without even me sort of thinking about it, that I've actually now learned in life to trust myself was uh, uh, an incredibly uh, liberating thing to experience. Sounds but, uh, like a good title for a book. Trust yourself, yeah. <laughs> no, I learned to trust myself, but, you know, that's awesome. Yes. Oh, yeah, so it'd be interesting. I suppose that that's a, a, another and could be a good topic for another conversation. Maybe later down the track, we can, um, you know, investigate that and see what comes out of it. Well, I think it's um, what I've learned. I guess, Fred, is is just say yes. Um, how can I describe that? A man that I worked with recently, who was through my school community, who was very much on suicide watch. Like he was really going through. He had the black dog on his back. Um, he was going through a really tough time, you know, the long dark tea time of the soul. And me and another man um, made regular contact with him. We, we met with him, we spoke with him. And um, I realised that his, his deepest depression and everything that he was going through was simply because he couldn't find somewhere within himself to say yes. So when he knew in the morning that if he got up and got out of the front door and went for a walk and, and said yes to going for a walk or said yes to playing with his twin daughters or said yes to taking him to school or said yes to going to talk to his doctor, his life would have been so much easier. And I realised that, um, again, someone shared with me that uh, we all have pain, that suffering equals pain times resistance. And the more we resist the very thing that we're fearing, the more suffering we have. Uh, I know it's a very Buddhist way of thinking, but I've, I've certainly found that to be true. And if we know that there's some discomfort about to happen, that there's a, a difficult conversation we need to have or there's a, um, something we need to do that we're going to find painful, the best way is simply say yes. Because if we say no, life keeps mirroring that back to us and it just keeps showing up until we say yes. So we may as well say yes and get on with it and move through it and grow from it and learn from it and fail forward fast and then dust ourselves off on the other side of it and go, well, look at that, I just jumped out of a plane, I didn't die. Or I just had a tough conversation with my spouse and I'm still alive and it's actually improved the situation. Um, or I've had a, a difficult conversation with a work colleague because they, you know, they're upsetting me, but I needed to have that conversation. Yeah, no, so, I mean, one of, one of the things I've said to people in the past was if you look at your, the problems that you had, say, a year ago or two years, years ago, and they were really extreme at the time, what's actually happened to them? Yes. You know, 90% of them have probably gone away, um, mm. you know, or, or you've learned to control them or whatever it might be. So. Well, it's certainly been a really interesting chat. 
John, I've um, I've probably thank you call it a, call it a day for now, and we'll package this up, and ho hopefully the listeners will get something out and make contact with you, and if you know if um, they and oh, just your book again. You just is it available on Amazon or local bookstores, or where is it where is it available? It's available online at Man Unplugged, and it's also available through the um, App Store um, on Apple Books, and it's also available through uh, I think it's Amazon. Okay. As a download. Right. So, so you've, you've got all, all the avenues covered. That's good. I do. I have to well, leave those. I appreciate your time and um, I look forward to chatting again soon. Take care. Thank you, Fred. I appreciate the opportunity. Take care. No problem. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Just a quick reminder that if you are an expert in your field and you want to share your knowledge, then simply go to our website radio.abi.com.au and register your interest. You can also listen to more experts share their stories and expertise at the same address, radio.abi.com.au. Look forward to seeing you there. Take care and have a fantastic day.